will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And as you can tell from our kind of new little retooled intro a little bit, that we are covering a very specific film. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know we are starting our MCU franchise universe, whatever you want to call it, review, starting with the first film to enter into the MCU, Iron Man. And I am joined by who other than Leslie. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Leslie? I am good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's it's been kind of nice to to revisit this film. It's it's been a been a few years, and you know, of course, came out long before I had dreams of doing a podcast or talking about films in any other type of format than talking with my friends. And uh, so it's gonna be really nice to kind of dive into this and look at this from more of a critical perspective or viewpoint and revisiting a 13 year old film and a was a 20 some odd movie now uh cinematic universe 22 something like that i don't know but it certainly has changed the industry and changed mm-hmm. comic book films for the better and the worse at times <laughs> um not specifically from this movie, but, you know, with what it's done and how it's impacted the greater sphere of things. Um, so, yeah, we felt like because we've been covering the Marvel shows and uh, you and I both are, are pretty big comic book fans and comic book movie fans uh, that we thought it'd be really cool to kind of talk about these films and uh, look at them in kind of hindsight and impacts that they've had and, and storylines that maybe they've set up that they've 
not explored or or other things like that. And of course, we figured we know that there's the two ways of watching any Marvel film or the Marvel MCU uh, is to go chronological or go in order release. And one thing I've typically done has been order release. Uh, and I've never really quite done it chronologically, so we're doing it in order release. Yeah, I when we talked about it, I just thought that yeah, order release would just be easier because I th- I feel like everybody has a different opinion about chronologically, especially when you kind of start getting into like phase two and three, like of where movies should go. And even myself on my um my shelf that I have where I have all the Marvel movies. I have some of them in an order that makes sense to me. Like, so it might not make sense to anybody else, but like I go ahead and we'll have like Black Panther and Spider-Man like right after Captain America Civil War, because that makes sense to me instead of trying to like wait and watch them you know, in, in a different order from release order. Right. So even even I have mine just in a totally different order than anybody else would probably agree with on the internet. But you know, I just figured for this, its release order was probably like the easiest, simplest way to to go. Well, and it even gets a little wonky when you get into Iron Man two and and uh, the Incredible Hulk and uh, it's like Thor and and Captain America because like they're all kind of happening at the same time. And I know some people like to watch like Hulk before Iron Man two. Uh, but I'm one who kind of tends to want to watch like Iron Man 2 first and then Hulk because it makes the end credit scene there kind of fit more in line with things. But also then like, well, you could technically move in Thor at the same time as Hulk <laughs> because of Coulson yeah. and stuff. So it does get a little bit tricky when you try to do that chronological order. So, yeah, I think I really, usually, you know, oh, I was just going to say, I usually like to put Hulk before Iron Man 2 just for a little break. Okay. From Tony, you know, it's like break from Tony real quick, meet with Bruce, then go back to Tony. Well, usually it's uh, there are things I don't like about Iron Man 2 that are very reminiscent of Spider-Man 3 that I'm like, I need to get this out of my way <laughs> get first. Yeah. <laughs> That and then, of course, like the the tricky stuff of with how the Incredible Hulk fits into the grander MCU, which we'll obviously get to that when we get to the Incredible Hulk. Um, So we're going to probably be a little scattershot in how we approach this. You know, we do like to try to go chronological with the events of the film. But as we were kind of talking before we started recording, you know, it's a 13 year old movie. I don't know who pretty much like outside of my mom who doesn't really watch comic book movies who hasn't seen Iron Man. Uh, I mean, well, anyone I don't who's know probably who has yeah, anybody who's probably listening has probably already seen it, right? Like right. do we need to say spoiler warning? No, nah, probably not. Again, it's it's a 13-year-old movie. It's like I can't be upset when someone spoils something from the 80s because it's like <laughs> There's been 30 years to get right. around to watching it. So uh, and I'm really bad at like re- remembering things um, specifically when it comes to like, oh, I'm watching that right now or I'm going to be watching that or I'm going to be playing this at some point. So there's going to be a spoiler here. And then they say that spoiler and then I get around to watching that like a year later. And then I'm like, I don't even remember the spoiler. So, right. um, but yeah, uh, let's just go ahead and, and dive in. Uh you know, like I said, we don't know where this conversation will take us because 
this movie came out long before you and I knew each other. And, yeah, it was uh, uh, 2008, right? Right. Yeah. And I remember um, being very lucky to get a ticket on opening night at Newport on the levee. Um, if anyone in the area kind of knows, knows that reference to in the Ohio, Kentucky tri-state area. Um, and it was almost like completely sold out. We got lucky. There were like two really like bad in seats at not uh, thankfully not in the front, front rows, but like in a front row, uh, that we were able to get those seats and, and, and watch the movie. But I remember everyone being super excited about the film and it being this really like nail biting experience, um, to see a big, I mean, at the time, Iron Man was more of a kind of a B list hero in the Marvel universe, but like still seeing this big name character come to the big screen for the first time. Uh, what, what kind of experience did you have when the movie came out? Um, I don't, I honestly can't remember if I was able to see it when it first hit the theaters because my distinct memory of it is when it was at the cheap theater. So after it's at the regular theater, it then moves to what we call the cheap theater or the $2 theater where you get to go see it after it's, it's moved. Um, so honestly, I don't remember if I got to see it before that, but I do remember going with my friends to the cheap theater and parking out there to go see it. But I was just thinking at that time, I'm trying to recall, we had like maybe some X-Men movies that we'd seen. I think the, we had those fantastic four movies and we had had Spider-Man. Yeah. We had Spider-Man. We had the older Superman movies and just kind of this was like a big deal of like having another superhero movie. Um, and of course the Batman movies, but you know, thinking about the superhero movies in general and what we really kind of had. And then we, we got Iron Man. It was, it was really cool. And I just remember I was really pulled in that it was just so awesome, especially with the ending scene, you know, I am Iron Man and then into that song you know, and everybody's like coming out of the theater. We're all rocking <laughs> to the song. But uh, the only like superhero, quote unquote, kind of stuff that had really, really pulled me in before that is, of course, the campy Batman, Adam West Batman, because that just makes my heart happy. I love that. And I loved the Superman movies. I had that like you go um, you go to like Walmart or whatever, and it's like all four movies yeah. on one DVD thing. Yep. Like I had that. So, and I'd seen the X Men movies, but I wasn't like um, buying the whole set or anything like that. But this was like you, we did. We had no idea this was the start of something so new. Because <laughs> right. I remember, I remember that when I went back to college for my final year there, because 2000, I graduated in 09. So if it came out in that summer, so I, I, yeah, that, um, I can't remember if it was my dad or my mom. They knew that I liked the movie and they bought that special edition with the case where you, you take off the case and it's Tony underneath from the Iron Man. So I had that for my last, uh, year there, you know, to watch on my TV in my dorm room. Well, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an experience. And I I don't know if like I think the closest to kind of reliving that moment was in game. 
Um, I don't think we've ever because now we're we're used to it. And yeah, desensitized is not necessarily the right word, but it's the closest word I can think of. It's the new normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not wrong there. Um, But like we now we kind of know what to expect from a Marvel movie. Uh, Whatever criticisms you might have, they've got a formula. They've got a style. We you know what to expect when you're going in. And uh, those early days, we didn't know. And in fact, I think if you even go back and look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores, while they're generally positive, they weren't getting the scores that they get currently today. Like I, I think Captain America was like a 60 66% and like Thor was in the sixties. And I think like Iron Man was the only one that was in like the high eighties or high nineties. Uh, and then outside of like Spider-Man two, which was one of the ones that, you know, got the rare, like 100% uh, score or 10 out of 10 scores. Like it was, just we've we've not ever really kind of been back to that experience. And um, I even remember because I don't know, sounds from like with your experience that did you know about the end credit scene beforehand or did you find out about it later? Um, We went into it and somebody in the theater was like, you have to stay. OK. And so me and my friend, we were like, oh, OK, you know, sure. And then so there was the end credit scene. For me, it was because uh, like I, I I'm less now. I mean, I still follow the page on, on Facebook, but like back when social media wasn't as prevalent as it is today, um, I would go to superhero hype because they would always have news about, you know, comics and upcoming films and stuff like that. And that was kind of tease that like, hey, there's this in credits thing. And, and then they were like, oh, no, there's not really this in credits thing. So. I remember sitting in the theater and like the credits were rolling. And my buddy was ready to get up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's let's stay. <laughs> we, we, we might need to stay. Um, but knowing also that John Favreau never intended that in credit scene to go anywhere. It was just a, a wink and a nod. Be like, hey, look, and everyone dug it. And that's what led to this grand uh, cinematic universe that we got. And. Uh, I, I a lot of credit like if we've given Kevin Feige a lot of credit in mm-hmm. our past reviews on the shows and and on some of the movies. Um, but really, honestly, John Favreau deserves a lot of credit. And I think he's getting yeah. it paid forward with Mandalorian and, and kind of now people want him in charge of Star Wars because of what he started, uh, because I think you can have Kevin Feige be there, but without without the direct uh, participation of of Favreau in this film and Robert Downey Jr. and their chemistry, I don't think we would get this this franchise. Yeah, the biggest thing that stood out to me when I rewatched the movie, and I rewatched it like the day or two ago, something like that, but was the story and the tightness of the story and yeah. how refreshing that was after just coming off Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to like go, you know go down that path, but it was just so refreshing that it was like every story beat. I'm like, okay, we're here, and we're now we're here, and now we're here, and it was so good of just moving right along, giving you exactly what you needed, you know, for each plot point that they're tossing out there, and 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 having his story make sense, like. Right. I know that kind of with like the um, Nolan Batmans and stuff, it was supposed to be like more gritty and real, but this was kind of 
like gritty and real light, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like if, if this was the actual world that we lived in, then the events as they played out and having somebody with the abilities of uh, Tony Stark, like it made sense why he became Iron Man. And it makes sense. Like, it's not just like, I have random powers, do, 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 you, you know, or like a random poof sort of a right. thing. So it all just like it all moved forward in a way that logically made sense within the story that they're telling. And again, it was just so refreshing to have those nice. Here's the beat. Here's the beat. Here's the beat. Here's the beat. You know, and our nice little three act. And here's the resolution. And now we're done. But it was it was all good. (laughs) Well, and that's a perfect segue to kind of get started into talking about the film. So um, an interesting thing that I was bringing up uh, pre-recording was it just kind of dawned on me about how these um, first set of Marvel movies uh, with Iron Man, with Incredible Hulk, with Captain America, Thor, they all start in media res. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're starting in kind of the, not necessarily in the instance of Iron Man, like in the middle of the story, but the, but stuff has already happened. And then we backtrack to find out everything that predated it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's probably this particular one of the Marvel movies has one of the best openings because you're, you're not really given too much context. You're just, it's Tony Stark in a, in a convoy with some soldiers, some fun conversation going on and then bam, you're in the middle of an attack and then you have him having the bomb right next to him and then Mm -hmm. waking up you know, being televised uh, for a ransom. Uh, and then yeah. you get that clink and you got the title card. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then you my... jump back. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say one of my favorite things is to find YouTubers, you know, especially like millennials or zennials who haven't seen these and for whatever reason. And then they're going back and like rewatching these now that they're sort of an end cap with like end game. And having their reactions to these because for the most part, every single one I've seen has been positive, but I, I love how people just like come into that intro and they're like, Oh my God, they're freaking out. And then it jumps and they're like, Holy crap. It really does its job of pulling them in. I haven't seen a single one of them yet who like was not instantly pulled in and engaged with that opening. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, this is, so I, I, I have told you about this uh, kind of outside of the podcasting world that because um, I've rewatched this twice now uh, because I've got it now on 4K. Um, so it's kind of like revisiting it with a new sheen on it a little bit um, <laughs> that like my my only real kind of problem now sitting there watching it is. I want to get him to him in the suit, like right away. Cause like, you know, cause I know wanna, how good it is. You don't want to sit there and wait to build up to that part. Right. And I mean, it's not endemic to specifically Iron Man. Like it happens every time I watch rewatch Batman begins. It's like, I want to see him in the bat suit, you know, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, Captain America. Like I want to see him in the uniform, uh, right away, but I know I got to go through these story beats, but, uh, this does even a lot of filling that later they explore in the movies, like because you get the whole he's the Apogee Awards and, uh, you know, explaining the the car crash with Howard and Maria, uh, you know, and then him coming in and taking over the company and Obadiah. Uh, and, and this also I, I give it leniency for its villain in this one, because, again, like we've been talking about, it was 
the start of something new. Mm-hmm. And we had gotten some complex villains in the Spider-Man movies, and we had gotten some okay, uh, you know, villains in the X-Men films. Uh, but this was starting something that, like, not too many people were necessarily familiar with Iron Man outside of the comic book sphere. And so they were, you know, adapting a, a character that they just needed to be a straight villain. So there was no real depth to Obadiah. Uh, but I think also the really greatly cast with Jeff Bridges. And the first yeah. time I saw Jeff Bridges with a shaved head. So that was definitely <laughs> weird. Um, but, you know, you have kind of him stepping in and being like, I'm the responsible businessman. Tony's the playboy, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all and, made sense for his story. Oh, absolutely. And actually, there's a line that I will get to it a little bit later that I never picked up before. But then I'm like, oh, because that's the name of his villain in the comic books. And I never caught that he said this line until my recent rewatching. But uh, one of my kind of gripes with the MCU, but it's it, it's retroactive or well, no, it's it was a gripe I had when Iron Man 2 came out. Um, but it, you know, it's kind of been okay. Cause Don Cheeto has been in the role for years now and has really kind of become roadie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's now also serving to be a problem with black Panther. I think in the, in the sense that we have Terrence Howard as roadie and this is not roadie as we see him in any of the other films. Like it, they, pl- Don Cheeto and, and, uh, Terrence Howard play roadie in two completely different ways. And I like his roadie in this film, but it definitely, he seems a little more, I think, reckless in this film, mm-hmm. even though he's like, I, I got to fly straight by the rules. But then as they get on the plane and like, Tony's like, Oh, we're going to drink. And he's like, I'm not drinking him five seconds later. He's drunk off his ass. <laughs> and you know, while the, while the, uh, the attendants are all doing their, uh, stripper dances basically. Um, but it, it is one of those things. Like I kind of wanted to see, what the MCU would look like if Terrence Howard had not been a complete jackass and decided he wanted more money because they paid Robert Downey Jr. more money. Um, But, you know, that gets into the politics of, well, hang on, it's about Tony Stark and it's Robert Downey Jr. So you're you're going to pay your headliner more than your sidekick. Uh, but he does a good job in this movie. I mean, it's not the knock on him for his acting ability or, or what he does, but, uh, I, I do like their, their friendship feels more lax in this one than it does in the later films. Cause it's Don Cheadle plays him more stricter, you know, like more, I am the military guy. Yeah. Like without, without a little bit of that recklessness that Terrence Howard does, um, but, it, it, you know, we get those that relationship set up. We get that they're best friends. And then, of course, we also got John Favreau, not just behind the camera, but <laughs> on camera as happy. And I always I always love that um, it never felt like it was just to get himself in the movie because mm-hmm. he doesn't try to overdo it. He doesn't try to make sure he's in every shot or anything like that. And then happy just happens to end up taking more screen time later on because they set that relationship up really well. Yeah. And it's the development of a character that then we get all the way in Endgame. Yeah. You know, uh, spoilers again, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we get the same thing with Colson is that right. when he showed up again, he, we all fell so in love with him. Right. 
Yes, yes. When we get Coulson for the first time uh, later on in the film, it's like, first off, because like we if you're not, you know, really because I never was like really hearing the words of what he was saying, the strategic homeland, you know, blah, 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 uh, information, yeah, enforcement, logis- logistics division. Like I just kept getting that, you know, Pepper kept saying, yeah, you guys need to work on that name. And then that becoming a running joke until the end. And then once he says shield, I'm like, Oh, like it makes sense to me now. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, and that's, um, it's doing what, and I've heard someone else to kind of talk about this too, about what like franchises work really well is because it does what the Marvel uni- cinematic universe has done is it establishes its universe as much as I like the DCEU because I don't need that establishing of the characters as much as you know, Joe Schmo, who doesn't know who like the Flash is or their backstory or anything like that. Right. Um, Mar- the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been really good at establishing its world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you even think again, kind of jumping a little bit ahead, but when he's doing his first test flight and he's uh, trying to take it to basically to space almost, and you know he's freezing up, <laughs> and then he has to, and then Jarvis is popping in there going. Yeah, if you want to, you know, travel the space, you might need to rethink the suit. And then you look at like where we get to in game and like they've been to space, they're dealing with aliens like there are those seeds that like we talked about with Falcon and Winter Soldier that were planted that we that you like feel like they want to develop or grow more into another season or something like that. Uh, we they're not in the sense what this does right versus Falcon and Winter Soldier is it doesn't plant them as significant seeds, just little tiny seeds. Yeah, it's not because the plot doesn't hinge on them right. or in such a way that they stand out so much. Because, like you said, even the little in credit scene could have just if if this never went anywhere else, it would still be a cool thing if you go to the end of the credits and be like, ah, cool. You know, right. and then go on with your day or whatever when you're watching the movie. But yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier, all the stuff that they put out there were very big deal things that very obviously need far more development. And you have not given us a yes or a no on whether or not that's going to happen. So if it doesn't, then I'm unhappy. And if it does, we'll see. Quick sidetrack uh, before we get back to the to the review, uh, because after we recorded our Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, finale episode, they announced Captain America four. Oh, and oh, did you not hear this? I didn't see it. No. Oh, yes. Yes. They've announced it. Now, they haven't given any details about it, just that they've announced Captain America four. But I don't know if I want to see what they planted in as those plot hinging seeds develop there if that makes sense like i don't necessarily want to go watch captain america 4 to find the things i found lacking in falcon and winter soldier yeah they either need to do something with that or i guess if they eventually like give us a trailer or something we'll we'll have our answer (laughs) yeah well and they haven't they haven't even come out and said like it's going to specifically focus on sam or it's going to have something to do with uh steve like they they just said, hey, we're doing a Captain America four, yeah. which is my thinking is what should have happened prior to the release, not necessarily the filming, but the release of Falcon and Winter Soldier, because one of my major complaints of when they announced Falcon and Winter Soldier was, wait a minute, you're going to give Sam the shield and he doesn't even get a Captain America movie like you're you're relegating him to have only an MCU TV show like it, it didn't seem right. 
but I don't like as much as we liked again, WandaVision felt perfectly fine in the in the stuff that it was establishing for Doctor Strange 2, but that's because we knew things were going to lead into Doctor Strange 2. When we go into Falcon and Winter Soldier, we have no Captain America 4 announced, so we have no idea what's going to come after that. Um, but now to get back kind of on topic. Well, to sort of segue, it's nice. It was interesting that we did, we decided to do this and went ahead and watched Iron Man with the 10 rings. And then I keep thinking about the Shang-Chi trailer. <laughs> right. And um, wanting to know more. And I'm like, oh, we're finally getting some more information on these guys. Did you know? Because I, I have to rewatch it, but I didn't know this, that there was actually a 10 rings guy in Ant-Man and uh, the first Ant-Man film. Like one of the weapon dealers, I think, or one of the oh, guys who wanted from... to get the pin particles has a tattoo. Like you can't see it all, but you can see the rings like as kind of coming up over his collar. And well, I'm I'll like, be watching for it now. Exactly. Right. Like that's again, it's these little minor things because like it was just meant to refer to the Ten Rings and, and the Mandarin from the comic books without necessarily introducing the character. And this is also something um, that. I think the film does right uh, because if when you look at when Iron Man originally, the comic book was released in the 70s, Vietnam War and so on and so forth, that like when Tony has his accident, it's in like an Asian country. And uh, that's how kind of the uh, the Mandarin becomes his main bad guy is this kind of connection to Asia. But mm-hmm. Iron Man in the comics didn't really start kind of getting more relevance again until they did uh, Iron Man Extremis, which kind of revamped his backstory and set it into what's more I, relatable to us because, you know, we've grown up, you know, pre 9-11 and then post 9-11 and our involvement into the Middle East, mm-hmm. that it made him a weapons dealer that was dealing with, you know, the military, but then had his accident in the Middle East and kind of updated it for current times and made it for feel more relevant. And I like that the film went that route as well, because we could all identify that more easily than setting it in like Vietnam. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that 10 rings, like they wanted to still incorporate it, but without having to still kind of do that Asian tie to it. So I like that it's this maybe this idea or this concept that these radical groups have kind of been taking and subverting or are, in fact, a part of the grander thing, as we saw from as we see from the All Hail the King um, one shot uh, and Trevor kind of getting his comeuppance for <laughs> daring to take on the the moniker of the Mandarin. Um, so it's again, it's these little seeds that aren't like meant to necessarily lead anywhere. But are there, and we're now seeing how those seeds pay off years down the road. Yeah, and they're not plot um, hinges. Right. Um, and I like, uh, and I, was his name Yusuf? Um, so the guy who operates on Tony Jensen? after the bomb. Jensen. Jensen. I don't know why I wanted to say Yusuf, but Jensen. I knew it started kind of with a Y. Because um, they also do something great with Jensen later on. You know, nothing big, but they still acknowledge because he tells a story about meeting Tony and Byrne. And then we get to actually see that interaction later on in Iron Man 3 and and to see kind of that whole thing. Well, God, if you were if I was as drunk as you, I don't know if I could give a speech on (laughs) whatever (laughs) obscure, crazy, uh, theoretical 
physics stuff that he did. Mm-hmm. But again, like this also introduces a character who for we only know him for a short amount of time. We know he's got something on with his daughter and his wife uh, and that he wants to get back to them. Um, and he only has a short amount of screen time because by the time that they cr- do their subterfuge, they create his uh, chess piece with the arc reactor uh, and then they use his own weapons to div- basically create the Mark One Iron Man mm-hmm. suit. Um, Jensen isn't just a, a side character. I mean, he has his own little arc, as minor as it may be, but he goes out like a hero. And I think yeah. it's also part of Tony's motivation to want to do better than just be a, a weapons dealer. Yeah, and I like the parallels between Iron Man and Captain America in these with his character and um, the doctors in um, Captain America. I can't remember his name right now. First kind? First kind. Yeah, like oh. the parallels of like they're they're there for a little while with the character. You know, they both get tragically killed, you know, and tell them, you know, like Jens is like, don't waste it. And he, um, Erskine tells Steve, you know, a good man, you know, they, they have these parallels and it's so amazing to me that this many years down the road, you know, we're seeing like end game and just seeing how that kind of set the two main people for this sort of 20 set of films, really. I mean, it's really kind of like Tony and Cap are kind of the two Kings, Really, and seeing how similar their stories were set up and moved down um, all the way through. I even think of kind of again, like jumping ahead, but uh, it's I mean it's going to happen because we've seen all these movies. (laughs) Um, Like one of one of uh, Cap's lines in Avengers is, "You're never the one put your put yourself on the line to you know sacrifice yourself, and then you get to end game." Yeah, and it's yeah. like it, it's, it's the marvelous things that no pun intended that Marvel <laughs> has done with these characters and developing these stories. And even if they maybe have set things up that didn't go in right and in the direction I wanted it to go into it, they've still done things in a very satisfying way. Yeah. Um, so then kind of jumping forward, we got Tony going back to the States uh, announcing that they're just going to uh, not make any more weapons of war. And this is where I was talking about the line with Obadiah, because, of course, Obadiah don't like this. <laughs> He's no fan. Uh, but he says, we're ironmongers. And I yeah. miss that line because that's the name of his For his. <laughs> yeah. And I caught that finally. And I, I mean, I've watched this movie, I don't know how many times, but it was in this rewatch that I finally heard him say Ironmonger. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> that makes it even better for me. Like, yeah. even though he's a very one dimensional villain, like that's again, like you said, it's his purpose. That's what mm-hmm. he's there for. He is the bad guy. He's the opposite side of that coin that Tony's on. Um, so. And then we get the fun, of course, like test scenes where he's like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, with dummy. What, what, well, that and like was he starts off the thrusters at like 1% and boom. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like face plants. <laughs> and it's, and, and it's, of course, always doing it in the garage with all the fancy yeah. cars. I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Get those right. cars and, out of there. Well, even then, like when he's finally kind of like moving around on it and he's like hovering over the cars, it's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, well, you're the one controlling where he's maneuvering. You're the one who did this in the garage with the fancy cars. And uh, one thing we, we hadn't quite really touched on is uh, is Jarvis, because 
Oh, yeah, Obviously, the from beginnings from the co- from the comics, Jervis was the butler. Um, but then for this, they make him an AI kind of household uh, PDA, essentially. Which really makes sense, honestly, yeah. for Tony's character. It really does. Well, it makes sense, and it updates it for the time. Like, as much as I like Alfred, does it really make sense in current time that, like, a millionaire would be relying on an old butler like that? You know, <laughs> like, you would think they would have top-of-the-line tech. And, and also it being something that he created himself. Like, yeah. It gives it this better connection. And then we know where that line eventually goes, because little do we know, again, that even Jarvis is going to have a character arc throughout these Mm -hmm. films. And one of the interesting things that I really always kind of go back to on this is that Paul Bettany was about done with acting. Like he really wasn't getting much roles or anything like that. And then they were like, hey, do you want to do some voiceover work for this? And, you know, bring in, get you done, blah, blah, blah. And it reinvigorated his career. And then we've even gotten to see more acting chops from him, just looking at WandaVision, like the different levels of characters he can play. And I love because like uh, another person that had this happen to them was Terry O'Quinn. Like Terry O'Quinn was about to give up acting and then he gets a role on Lost and then he's John Locke and he's this captivating character and and everyone loves and hates him at the same time. And, (laughs) you know, I love those stories of these actors who like were ready to just give it all up and, you know, live a normal life. And then they take an innocuous role and it, you know, reinvigorates their career, especially when they're so actually good at, at what they do. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, we kind of brought lost over her, but Pepper, I love her line at the beginning. Oh yeah. And the reporter's like, Oh, you know, take out the trash. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, Oh, he still has you do his laundry. And then, yeah, occasionally I take out the trash too. And <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's yeah. great. You know and, what and, that reminds me of is just that like nineties insults were like the best. And I know that's not really a nineties insult, but it reminds me of that. Like, you know, what's the one, I can't remember the movie it's from, but they're like, cancel my subscription. I'm over your issues. You know, like just know that one. Yeah. But, but her, her conversation there with like, and I occasionally take out, just really reminds me of those like awesome nineties insults. Yes. I'm like, I miss those. Let's bring those back. Well, and one of the best things it does, uh, and I mean, this might surprise people if they've heard any of our political kind of oriented episodes where we've actually dived into stuff and stuff that's annoyed me with certain, you know, shows or certain movies or even books or video games. She's not the typical just secretary, right? Like, and it was nothing that was forced on us. She was a strong female character without them having to really do any extra legwork. Like that's where I would take a pepper pots over a Carol Danvers any day because they had to keep telling me how great Carol was. Yeah. Pepper showed me how, how, you know, how strong she was and she's not going to take shit from a reporter who just (laughs) shagged Tony for a story. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that that is a big, big difference too, because like Pepper didn't stand out so much to me as um, Peggy did in and Captain right. America, but you know, that's just different personal well, preferences, it, but that in its time periods too, right, like you're, right. you're talking about a woman in the forties and yeah. a woman that's in the two thousands. Right. But you're, you're right. Is that they don't have to take them and and slap it into your face that, well, you should be behind her because she's a, this character, 
you know, like you write a good character. That's the thing. Like with writing, write a good character with a good story. And then you could, you know, is it a male character? Is it a female character? You're, you're trying to go ahead and put um, characteristics on them to, to make their character without actually putting thought into, I keep using the word character, but it's like, if you're, (laughs) you're trying to assign characteristics and have those be what makes up your character instead of actually writing an in-depth, well-rounded, just plain human being with the story first and then moving from there. Well, does that make we, any sense at all? Yeah. Well, cause the, what the film does really well and, and in a subtle way, and that's what I talk about when we talk about, um, we want, if you're going to do any type of messaging, you got to do it in a subtle way that people can miss on it, but it's still there. And the people that are looking for it can give you the thumbs up or the wink. We are constantly shown throughout even, you know, the beginning with the flashback stuff prior to going to the Middle East. Tony can't really function without her. She Mm -hmm. runs his calendar, his life. I mean, like when you get to the dance scene later on before he finally fully suits up, she's like, I don't, you know, even think you could tie your shoes without me. And then she's like, your social security number, you know, your social security number. And then he's like eight and she's like what are the other or five or whatever and what are the other eight digits and he's like uh <laughs> you know so yeah. it, you know and then she takes of course takes it upon herself to have him buy her birthday gift you know so like right. she picks out her own gift uh and and that's they've always established that good relationship with him it's like because even when she thinks he's kind of losing it a little bit she's loyal to him and she even puts herself in physical danger by going to the office and downloading the secret files and then Mm -hmm. having the conversation with Obadiah when Obadiah is suspecting something and then running straight to Coulson uh, because she's really good at not scheduling a meeting so that he's always (laughs) bugging her for a meeting (laughs) to, to have, you know, that, that to go where it goes. And then she's the one who puts the final kibosh on the villain. Like again, at the sacrifice of, uh, of potentially Tony's life. Yeah. So it's it's nothing they needed to force. They like you said, they wrote a good character mm-hmm. without having to force anything or make us accept that she's a strong character. She's just a strong female character. She's an Ellen Ripley, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, we we're we're kind of glossing over again some finer details, but I, you know, we we get uh, the first instance when. Again, the reporter kind of shows up at the dance and uh, or at the whatever gathering fireman's um, ball or something like that. Yeah, it's at the I know it's at the Disney like music hall. And then we get uh, th- no, he doesn't call Our him. Does he call, does he call him Hugh in that one? Yeah. too? Hef. OK, he he's Hugh. Hef. He's Hugh in one. And then he's Larry King in two. Yeah. I couldn't rem- I couldn't remember exactly which one. Um, yeah. So he thinks he's Hugh Hefner. And it's our first although it's not our first official uh stanley cameo because spider-man right. had the first cameo uh i believe it's spider-man i don't think he showed up in x-men at all uh except for three when he's got the hose yeah. uh but this is our first mcu tradition well, he, he was in um the fantastic four movie too he was like the yes he's the, mail the mailman yeah yes yes <laughs> but our first cinematic universe. Universe, yeah, yeah. Um, which then started a much longer tradition. And every Easter egg hunt that we always need. <laughs> we're always waiting for, uh, you know, the stand, the stand cameo. And I, 
I love and I, I love that they kind of did it in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. One of the few things I like I really like about Guardians 2 is because there was always kind of the running theory that maybe he was a watcher. Yeah. Uh, and then they actually have him conversing with Uatu and, uh, you know, being like, well, then this one time I was <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, that's great. Ken and I stand that way. I, I love it. And my one major complaint with Marvel is that they only ran the Marvel logo with his cameos only on Captain Marvel. It needed to be on Endgame. I understand that they were doing something with Endgame. Either that or I kind of feel like it needs to be its own short. Yeah. Like his cameos and and the opening or like something like all together to like be its own little like 10 minute thing or something. Yeah, because yeah, it, it was just it, that was so good. And like one of the few, that, it was so I really like in Captain Marvel. I was like starting to cry in the theater just yeah. watching that. When I realized, because I didn't know that they were going to do that, I didn't go in knowing. And and when it started, and I started to realize what it was, oh my gosh! And I'm like, all these other people in the theater are going to think like I'm that person. <laughs> I'm like starting to cry. I'm like, well, God, I didn't bring tissues, you know. Yeah, but, you know, it, it did start the great tradition. And, uh, you know, there's many criticisms of Stan, just as there are of any person. But, you know, we, we wouldn't have this stuff without Stanley. You know? Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of respect to him. And, you know, it's just it is always just great to think about what when his next cameo is. And it's the one thing where you're just like, I know I'm not going to see anymore. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, but on that dour note, let's let's get back to, <laughs> to the film. Uh, so then we see kind of Tony watching the news report in Gomira, which is kind of in the area of where he w- had been held. And uh, well, that you know, was Jensen's hometown. Right. And he that, said, where that, are you from? That too. And, uh, you know, he's tooling with his with his gauntlet and then realizing as he's angry, he can shoot blasts. So that's where we get the first suit up. And this is where I'm like, yes, I know in theaters, <laughs> I was like, I am in this 100%. I love this. Um, this is going to be one of my favorite ones. And I think actually out of the three Iron Man films, because I would say probably my favorite appearance of him as Iron Man is going to be in Civil War slash Endgame. But in the standalone Iron Man films, Iron Man 1, I think, is my favorite out of the three. And yeah. Because like like you've said, it's the tighter story. It's, again, this kind of introduction to a grander universe. And it just everything for it works. Yeah. Even if I'm sitting there now going, OK, can I get to the 40 minute mark when he's got the suit? Like, I, I know I want to <laughs> get there. It's still everything and it works. It follows its plot points perfectly. Yeah. And I think, again, going back to like that, this was a new thing that they were starting. The story and the story beats work perfectly for drawing people in, yeah. for drawing in those people who weren't going to come to the theater to see this because they knew who Iron Man was, but because they saw a trailer that, oh, this is a cool action sci-fi, and I'm going to go see this, and then getting us all, you know, hooked. Well, and and kind of <clears throat> to take take out a, take a step outside of the Marvel stuff, um, you know, I was. I was not a fan of Robert Downey Jr. I um, I actually kind of hated him because of his 
stuff he got involved in in the 90s. Uh, you know, the drugs and then, you know, kind of breaking out of jail and having to go back to jail. Uh, and then he kind of started making his resurgence, resurgence with Gothica. And I saw him in it and I was like, because I was going to have, I mean, Gothica is not a great film, but um, he did a really good job with this character in there. And I'm like, okay, he might start winning me back. And then, of course, Iron Man, I was like, well, I don't really necessarily like him, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go see it because it's a comic book movie. And this is the role that re won him over for me. And actually then made me start defending him because, you know, he is he's been clean. I mean, as far as we know, I I, I think it'd be kind of hard to hide considering how bad he was in this stuff in the 90s. Uh, but like I, I remember having a conversation with my dad who was like, "Nah, he's he's going to fall off the wagon again. I'm like, Dad, it's been over five years. Like you're more likely to, to fall off the wagon within the first six months but after five years, you're pretty much on a good track. And by that point, because of Iron Man and Iron Man 2 and what they were starting up with the MCU, he had a lot to lose. Yeah. So it was like, I don't think he was going to put and he still has not put himself at risk of relapsing into that bad period, you know. And so he completely won me over. Uh, I own a lot of his movies now and, and I, he's one, he's one of my favorite actors. Um, so I, I had to give him, you know, kudos on that. Yeah. Um, but then we get to the great Gomira scene. Um, I think one of my favorite parts out of this outside of the action stuff is the, the goon who's, you know, trying to hide behind the wall and call the main bat, the other main baddie who's, you know, just the, the head of the 10 ring, the guy with the scar face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just like throwing him out to the family and going, he's all yours. I like when he shows up and they're grabbing like all the women and kids and they're like yelling, you know, and he just stops. And then the tracking device has the little, yeah. the little things on the shoulders that just, you know, and get everybody all with like one shot. Yeah. That's it's, pretty good. Cause you get that like little bit of a scene where they're re- basically ready to kill the father of the, of the one kid who's, you know, wanting to stay with his parents. Um, mm-hmm. and then they drag the father away and they're about ready to just like off him or, or take him away for whatever nefarious purposes. And then he shows up and then, yeah, you think like he's going to pull out the big guns to take care of these, you know, guys. And it's just target, target, target. And then yeah. the short flops <laughs> pop up and it's just, psh, psh, and yeah, you're those, like, oh, oh, that's even more awesome than a big gun. You and know? that makes me think now, too, because now we have all the hindsight, John Favreau being involved, whistling birds, mandolin, oh, yeah. Yeah. tiny little, little, little bullets that track and go choo, 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 choo. <laughs> and, and a man in a suit of armor. Right. <laughs> I'm seeing some parallels, John. Um. Well, I mean, he was always a fan of of Boba Fett from the holiday <laughs> special. So it, it kind of it tracks. It works. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the next little bit of the action scene where he's still flying over and he gets shot down by the tank. And yeah. again, it's a it's a it's not a size matters type thing, because like the tank shoots at him and he just dodges it. And then he shoots out the one little wrist rocket and then you have the huge explosion. Of course, he does the cool superhero walk away from the explosion With the fire behind. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Uh, and then he destroys the Jericho weapons and uh, and then it goes on. And, th- and then you get to, of course, this lovely fun scene where he's being chased by the two Air Force pilots yeah. and then talking to Rhodey on the phone and, you know, coming. 
what's all that noise I'm hearing? Oh, I'm driving with the top down. And then, you know, calls back. I thought you were, I thought you were driving while I was jogging, driving to the Canyon to jog or, you know, coming up with a really lame excuse. And also the uh, ringer on the phone is the old like nineties cartoon theme song. So it's like, it's those little nods and little, you know, hints back and, uh, you know, you have the unfortunate thing with the the one plane crashing into him, which, of course, Tony makes sure to know, hey, technically he, he ran bit- into me yeah. <laughs> um, and gets Rhodey to co- kind of cover him. And then we get our first our first real hint at a greater uh, Marvel universe, not without even having the end credit scene as Pepper comes down the steps in this scene, Tony getting um ungracefully trying to get the suit off. Yeah. Cause you think about like all the later films where it's just like, Oh, it's like water. It, it, yeah, it's like, it comes right machines off. Machines yeah. don't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to stand trying to un- unscrew. Yeah. Uh, but then in the background on his desk is the half made captain America shield. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't know about that till of course, lay much later that that he was even there. And it's always kind of great to see it there because, of course, it makes a reappearance in uh, mm-hmm. Iron Man 2. Um, and then, of course, uh, I love his little line to, to Pepper is like, yeah, let's 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 face it. This isn't the most embarrassing. <laughs> this isn't the worst thing you've caught me yeah, doing. That's right. Yeah. And then are those bullet holes? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, pretty much like. The rest of the story just flows very smoothly to kind of the conclusion. We get it the really Obadiah feel, um, you know, basically him, you know, offing off that entire insurgent ring to get Tony's Mark One suit. Uh, you know, Pepper getting the plans. Of course, Colton popping up every once in a while to uh, remind her to schedule a meeting to debrief <laughs> him. Um, and then one of the most minorest cameos that's then comes to play again years down the road oh yeah uh william i believe his name is william uh telling obadiah well i'm not tony stark right now here's the one problem watching this in 4k because that is ralphie from a christmas story (laughs) no one knew that um because he's not actually bald with the 4k you could actually tell that he shaved his head because you can see it, tiny little outlines little for where it's hair. And you're, I was like, oh, my God, because I'm like, I know he's not bald because I've seen pictures of him recently and stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, you have William, who, again, like I didn't even know when watching Spider-Man um, Far, Far From, from home. home that it was even the same actor. I was like, ah, oh, they just got someone that was you know very close. And then they re- kind of re photoshopped or whatever, edited him into that scene. But nope. It's the same actor. It's the same character. It's amazing. That is a really, really good job on all around. I don't know whose um, purview that's under, a producer or something somewhere, but that's a really good job. That's the stuff that, like, book people dream of when people are making movies out of their books and they kind of try and change stuff. And you're like, no, (laughs) continuity. (laughs) It's like because because like whoever had the idea that these were all starting with like Mysterio uh, and spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home, that these were all going to be people that Tony slighted in his past that were going to be involved in this grand scheme to, you know, take over the world or whatever. 
that they would, you know, have those seats. Like, even though you don't have Jake Gyllenhaal in Civil War uh, for Barb. they do such a good job to make you believe he was there. Exactly. Because you could like, yeah, I could see that he's potentially off to the wing uh, of that, you know, hearing the speech. Like, so it's, it's again, that just that really good payoff for, again, what Falcon and Winter Soldier did not do right, was planting these <laughs> innocuous little seeds, like not even that they were meant to go anywhere. And then to have that come back and you're like, and, you, and then you go back to Iron Man and go, holy crap, it is the same guy. And like it yeah. is, and it makes sense. Um, and freaking tastic. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's again, what like this film launched this amazing thing that we just, didn't know at the time was going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, basically you've got Obadiah steal cause he can't recreate the arc, uh, reactor that Tony did. He steals Tony's, uh, chess piece. Uh, and we got, we didn't really talk about, you know, the fact, the funny scene where Pepper had to pull the old one out and almost yeah. kill Tony. <laughs> um, so, you know, Tony's struggling to get to that. Uh, while Pepper is trying to get the shield agents into that sector six or whatever, um, to figure out what Obadiah is doing. And, uh, you know, again, Rhodey kind of showing up gets Tony, you know, the arc reactor. Uh, and then we get that, you know, great thing. I'm just like, i still wish I could have seen Terrence Howard play Rhodey. Yeah. Is when that he next, it time. next time? Yeah. 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 Cause you're like, Oh my God, war machines coming and war machines. One of my favorites. Uh, and I'm just, cause I love that cannon. I love the way the suit looks and I, I, I like Rhodey. And uh, in fact, like before they did, you know, the MCU, they did a couple animated movies and they did an Avengers animated film and they have that war machine suit in there. But it wasn't Rhodey. And I'm like, I don't want Tony wearing that suit. I want Rhodey (laughs) wearing that suit. Right. Uh, That's not his suit. So, you know, you get that nice, like little tease, like, oh, if we get a sequel, we get to see War Machine and stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, that clear, you know, clear the skies, keep the skies clear, uh, type thing. Um, and then we get the Ironmonger suit and, uh, the final fight with Tony. They always remind me of the Iron Giant. Those first, yeah, like, that are that. just the plain, like, even Tony's Mark One. Yeah. I look at it and I'm like, Iron Giant. <laughs> well, um, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I'm sure you have because you're like me, you like to dive into everything and learn all kind of the minutia of stuff. And although I can't ever quite catch this one because I just always happen to probably look away or not really focus. Um, the Fing Fang Foom Easter egg. It's a billboard and it's got, you know, like a, I got, I think it's like a movie advertising Fing Fang Foom, who's a giant dragon creature in the comic books. And they were just like, you know, threw that in there as an Easter egg. But the, the other one that I've caught a lot, especially knowing that it's there is Roxxon. Uh, okay. is one of the buildings in the background. It, it has the whole Roxxon logo. It's not red, but it's but it's there. It's got the same style. And of course, Roxxon has, uh, a, you know, little parts to play in some other of the films and stuff mm-hmm. and could be a villain. I know they made the um, Roxxon kind of the bad guy in the uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales video game. So it's kind of like, again, nice to see these little Easter eggs and stuff that like Favreau was like, yeah, let's put that in there. Let's plant that there. And you know, yeah. if the, the diehards are going to find it, they'll they'll really appreciate it. Uh, but then, yeah, you get the kind of really good fight scene. Uh, I still hate the soccer mom for just trying to run Tony over, even though he just she saved her. Entire family. 
I she get was it, in but, shock. but he's like, lady, stop. I caught your car. <laughs> um, and yeah, I get the, 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 again, kind of like, uh, mirroring that scene where Tony's got the, you know, it's the size doesn't matter where all Obadiah is caring about is how many weapons, how many things can I make this? Yeah, into how this large can that suit be? And yeah. then how it really doesn't help him. And it, it helps Tony. And, Actually, even kind of is a plot point in Iron Man 2 with Justin Hammer trying to throw everything in, the, you know, the the widow maker or whatever, uh, or the bunker buster. <laughs> the ex-wife or, yeah. The ex-wife, that's it. Yeah. That, that's the name of it. Uh, and, you know, and how that doesn't really quite play out and how Tony's suit is cannot necessarily be replicated. Like, it's made specifically by Tony and it does what it needs to do to get the job done without going over the top. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, we get to the kind of the end, we get the shield introduction. Uh, <laughs> and then Tony just going straight out there and like, nah, I'm not going to go by this. I yeah, am. I Iron am Man. Iron Man. And then yeah. clink. Um, and then of course, if you were smart enough to sit through the credits, you get Tony arriving back at home to none other than, Sam Jackson playing Nick Fury. Right. Say, I want to talk to you about the Avengers initiative. You think you're the only one? Nope. <laughs> um, that was this is, awesome. And this is one of the times where like, again, like when you're kind of race bending or gender bending characters that are you know well established and well known and beloved by other people. This is one where actually I, I like black Nick Fury far more than I ever did like white Nick Fury in the main Marvel comic books universe. Like, cause one of the cool things that they did when they launched the ultimates line, which was a kind of a trying to update those characters to today's times and stuff like that with Brian Hitch and, uh, Mark or not Mark Millar, uh, Brian, uh, Michael Bendis. Um, you know, he specifically modeled Nick Fury after Samuel L. Jackson. So then when you get Samuel L. Jackson, to, character, you know, play. It's like, oh my god, it's the best thing, and and it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah. In, in this aspect, it doesn't really matter like what color Nick Fury is, because he's still Nick Fury. Like he's got this one thing that's always going on in his mind, and it's he's seen twenty steps ahead and trying to figure out where Ultimate the next bad guy is going to come from. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, like to me, it's more canonical and they've tried to do it in the mainline comics universe where they killed off the old Nick Fury, but then he had an illegitimate, you know, black son that then tried to become like that. And it was like, it didn't quite work, uh, in the mainline six one six. Uh, but you know, whatever I I've been so distanced from the Marvel comics. I have no idea what they're doing over there now. Um, yeah. but it was, it was that thing, that promise, that little, Hey, we're just going to nod to this grander universe. And we don't know that, you know, 13 years down the road, <laughs> we've created this massive franchise. Created a monster. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's gone to places they never even dreamed of. Yeah. <laughs> um, so final thoughts. What, what, what final thoughts do you have? Um, I don't know. It's, it's nostalgic, you know, and again, like you said, we're since we're looking back on it, I just remember when we went to see um, Infinity War, I'm pretty sure is what it was, or it might have been Endgame, I don't remember. But I was having a conversation with one of my relatives who was kind of like 
you know, definitely not into the comic book movies at all, kind of rolling their eyes about how emotional everybody was being over these. And I said, you got to remember, this is like 11, now 12, like you said, 13 years worth of memories with your friends talking about these movies, hanging out, you know, going to the theater. I was like, it's a, it's more about far more than that. And it became about far more than just, Hey, let's go see this really cool movie, you know? And that's why everyone was so emotional over these. So I think it's a great opening. Like I said, I'll go back to what I said is the story is so tight and the, the beats are really well done and well thought out that gets you into this. And even though it is kind of like the Marvel formula, but hey, it worked and it got everybody hooked for a franchise that's probably going to continue. I mean, it'll be like 3055 and there'll be like the remake of Iron Man 26 you know, or something like that. Yeah, uh, you make a really, really good point, because I remember I took my dad and uh, my buddy Jake and I, we all went to go see Infinity War in theaters. And, uh, you know, when you got to the snap and you saw these characters turning to ash and disappearing, uh, even though I know as as a fan, I know that, okay, next year Endgame's coming out and like we're going to see what happens. And I know that especially like, of course, at the time that like Black Panther was the biggest Marvel movie um, at the time that like they weren't just going to just kill off Black Panther, even though now that seems in, you know, now what they're trying to do with Chadwick Boseman, that no one can ever take on the role of of T'Challa because he embodied it so well um, that now, you know, they're they're talking about whatever they're going to do with Black Panther 2 and not recast them, even though we've seen recastings happen I mean, it's happened with Hulk, mm-hmm. you know, and it's happened with with uh, with Rhodey and, and stuff like that, um, that like I think it can survive. Like, I understand you want to respect Chad Chadwick Boseman's memory, but I don't know. And I mean, I can't know what Chadwick Boseman would have wanted, but I don't think he would have wanted the character to die with him. I think he would have wanted another black actor to embody that role and make it their own and still be an example to millions of people. Um, but the reason that even though these characters were vanishing and I knew they were going to come back, it was years of growing with these characters of, mm-hmm. of knowing these characters. And like you said, going, going to the movies with friends and having those discussions and, and, and enjoying these things together and coming back to these memories of, of better times and times where things weren't as complicated now, just even as adults, because yeah, I, I was just getting into college when Iron Man came out. Cause I graduated high school in 07. Um, you know, it was like, I was still learning and growing as a person that I am today. And, you know, going through that journey with certain friends that, either have passed now or uh, that I barely keep in contact with, but then I can sit down and watch Iron Man. And remember I was there with my buddy Chase and I was there with my, uh, my buddy Brent and Chase and Brent. I don't talk to anymore, but I can still look on that with a uh, kind of rose colored glasses is that time where we barely were able to fit into that theater and sit <laughs> down and watch this movie and, and all just like, freak out about how much we loved it and how great it was. And then, mm-hmm. you know, see where that's led to. So it has more of an impact, um, on you just more than the films, you know, it's, yeah. it's 
it's each year looking forward to that next release or that next little tidbit of news of that next Iron Man movie or that next yeah. Captain America film. Plan your like weekends and everything around it. Like yeah. where we're going to go, we're going to go out and have dinner, you know, cause that was a big thing with me and my friends is like dinner first or after, you know, do we want to do dinner first or after, but like depending on what times we could get and, and like sitting, we would sit in like a restaurant until it closed, just talking and, you know, having these discussions and and it, it was great. It's great memories, you know? Well, and I mean, we've we here on the podcast have kind of created some memories with like our discussions and our theorizing where WandaVision was going to go or what what characters they were going to introduce or where this is going to lead with Doctor Strange and uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Like what we thought that this might lead to or what that might lead to. And ultimately, I think our theories were better than what it did. But <laughs> but it was but it's it's an experience. It's not just mm-hmm. sitting there for two hours and watching a movie. It's being invested because knowing that you could go out uh, and and walk out in a random crowd and meet run into somebody and bring up Iron Man and they can tell you the same stories we've been telling you, you know, that, that that their experiences, their, their friendships that they made along the way, their late night restaurant uh, conversations or plant weekend plans. Like, especially when I entered into the, the workforce uh, or the adult workforce rather. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've been working since I was 16. Um, that like I would be planning on having Fridays off because I would be going to the midnight showing for that next Marvel film mm-hmm. and ready and excited to go see who I was going to go see it with. Um, and to think that all of those memories and all of those experiences all started because of this film and what this yeah. film, you know, ended up creating is astounding. I don't think uh, even if they might have fallen off the wagon a little bit or have had some hiccups here and there or going in directions I might not necessarily like, uh, I don't think I've ever had any type of film, book, concert. I mean, the closest I can think of as a concert I went to a couple years ago uh, that like you had that shared experience with everyone in that room. And I think everyone in that room, if I were to run into them tomorrow, could talk about having that kind of experience that unified experience there's been no film or franchise in the world that has created those memories or those shared experiences like it did with the start of iron man yeah and i'd like to get back to that kind of world you know <laughs> i yeah, feel like we've I mean, deviated I from it could- People could probably like make arguments for Star Wars or Star Trek or or something else, but it's the continued community experience I think that's really make a made a big difference. Or maybe 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 we put the caveat on for our generation. Yeah. You know, because like yeah, you're you're not wrong in using the example of Star Wars, George Lucas Star Wars coming out in the seventies yeah. and moving on through the eighties. The only the only thing different being that it was a three film. And then, you know, expanded universe stuff and and then trying to make that resurgence with the prequels, not Mm -hmm. creating that kind of experience for younger audiences. uh, But again, kind of then falling out of it again a little bit until you got (laughs) to the Disney Star Wars. And now it's all a complete mess. All over the place. Yeah, it's we we were debating about doing a May the 4th uh, uh, episode (laughs) for Star Wars there. We mentioned Star Wars. So you can use that for our our May 4th uh, little nod. Uh, Anyways, um, but 
but like you said, this is continuing. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, they've got more and more movies planned that by the time we're in our 70s or in our 80s, they're going to be on Avengers <laughs> 20, you know? So it's uh, going to be like, do you want to watch The Office again or do you want to start back with Iron Man? <laughs> both. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'll be on my 100th millionth rewatch of The Office at that point. <laughs> uh, but it, it is really amazing to like look back at this film and just look at what it started and what it spawned and also then look at the end of Endgame and realize how good of a capstone that is for Iron Man for mm-hmm. for Tony's story. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny to me now. Of course we're not even to Endgame, but it's so funny I, to me now how everybody was debating about whether it was going to be Cap or Iron Man or Thor, like the Holy Trinity, who was right. going to be the one. And and to think that we were even having that debate at all, because it just I'm like all the people who were like, well, it has to be Iron Man. I cede to you because I'm like, why were we even having that argument? Because it's so perfect and it makes so much sense, you know, now that it's Captain ended like you like you said like that, that I'm like, why did I even consider that it would be anybody else than him? For for me, it was it was a. It was just down the line between it was going to be Cap or it was going to be uh, uh, Iron Man. And I wanted it to be Cap just because of, like, I'm more of a Captain America fan than I am Iron Man. Like, just mm-hmm. in the comics, not necessarily, you know, because of the films. Uh, and I, like, it, it, to me, it would have it would have potentially fit Cap's story. But I'm not angry that it that it that it's Tony. And, you know, yeah. and then when you look at it within the grander context of it starts with Tony. It ends with Tony. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like it, it's it's almost poetic. Yeah, uh, it's and so it's, perfect. It's, the, it's that true hero's journey, and uh, you know he doesn't get to kind of the point that uh, Harvey makes in, in Dark Knight, where you live, you know, uh, you live live long enough to become the villain or you die the hero, you know, and it's like he dies the hero. Not that he would have ever necessarily become the villain, but he kind of <laughs> does. If you look at Civil War, like he he teeters that line a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he lets his paranoia kind of get a, a hold on him. Right. And which, again, is kind of starts a little bit with this because of with what Obadiah does and then kind of is a little bit further with learning that his father might have double dealt with the Soviets and then uh, Iron Man 3 having the complete betrayal by Rebecca. Uh, uh, Rebecca, um, oh, God, what's her name? I can't, why can't I think of her last name? She was in Kong versus Rebecca Hall, I think is her name. Uh, you know, her character being that person that she, you know, he was attached to and he thought he could trust and betrays him. Uh, and then also his own kind of incredibles-esque creation of a villain uh for that film <laughs> yeah and, uh, and then you know it continues and it continues uh where you also have uh with what scarlet witch does to him in, in age of ultron and manipulating his mind and showing him this horrific uh vision and you just see how all of all of these story beats continue and how they perfectly end in endgame it's just it's again beautiful and poetic it really is um, but I, I don't have any more final thoughts. I mean, we could go on for hours, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but of course, we talked about and, more than just this one, but you know, uh, obviously. Um, but yes, uh, so I for a score from me, I'm gonna land on a um, 
four point five. I would say. Oh, dang it! That's just what I was thinking. Every time you bring up scores, I start to think of a number, and then you like take my number. Two thousand eight, <laughs> me like would have given it a perfect five. Um, <laughs> but but you know, current me and trying to look at it from a more critical perspective and and kind of acknowledge some flaws and stuff. I mean, there are are points where I do feel kind of a little bit in a lull. And it's usually those moments, again, like kind of where Tony's not in the suit. Uh, and it's I think like they might might have focused a little too much on the development part it's, of the it's suit. His character brewing. You yeah. Know, his character's um, percolating, getting ready. So it, it feels like they might might have been able to condense that down a little bit and then give him more time in the suit. Because I think like you really only get him in the suit twice outside of Mark one, like you only get him in in the red and gold twice. And, and the final time isn't even like at full capacity, right? It's it's, it's hindered and then it's immediately damaged. And then he's half in it and half out it. Um, And these are personal things. Like these aren't necessarily actual flaws within the film, but things on me that I I find that kind of knock it a little bit. So 4.5 for me. Well, it's 4.5 for me, too, because you stole my number. <laughs> I'm really good at that. <laughs> it's just so funny, because, like, literally every podcast, you start talking about numbers, and my mind goes, hmm, what am I going to do? And then you're like, I'm going to give this a blow, but I'm like, no, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> All right, we'll make a deal. For, uh, for what, which one are we doing next, uh, Iron um, Man 2 or Hulk? Um, I thought, is Hulk next? Well, they both, Iron Man 2 and Hulk, I believe, came out in the same year. Oh, in the same uh, year. Or 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 not. Uh, I am live checking this as well. Oh, I was going to say, do you want me to live Google? Uh, Iron Man 2 was 2010, and The Incredible, uh, if I can type, Incredible Hulk was actually 2008. Oh, so it's Hulk's next. It's Hulk that's next, even though it technically takes place after Iron Man 2. Or at the same time as Iron Man 2, rather. Well, that's um, fine. Yeah. All right. So next. when we get to Incredible Hulk, I will allow you to score <laughs> to first, first so I do not steal <laughs> your score. So hold me to that. Remind me. Uh, reach through the, the computer screen and punch me if uh, if I start to give a score uh, before you. So... All right, guys. Well, I think that will do it for this special episode. We will have uh, probably a a double episode release again this week as Pat and I have to record our Mortal Kombat review, which I anticipate that to to be one that sparks some fires. Uh, He and I have kind of talked about our feelings about the movie, and (laughs) we don't agree. Uh, So it's going to be one of those times where – it's going to be really interesting because most of our reviews we've been like you and I uh, have been pretty much in line, uh, it, but we do not see eye to eye on Mortal Kombat. So oh, no. that's a nice little tease for you. If this doesn't release the same time as that Mortal Kombat review, <laughs> um, obviously this will be first because we're recording this first, but uh, yeah, so you have that to look forward to. We were toying the idea about doing a, a fourth uh, Star Wars celebration, but as Leslie reminded me, uh, we've kind of uh, we've done one. I think we did one last year. We talked about kind of Star yeah, Wars and what it means to us. We uh, we ranked the films and things like that, and I I didn't know if that would be interesting to like do again, like yeah. for the audience, you know. If uh, if we were. Uh, 
you know, special or sponsored by Disney and we could have gotten early <laughs> views of the bad batch. We could have covered that uh, since that is premiering on the fourth, but uh, we'll just have to wait at some point for our review of that show. I don't know when we'll fit that in. Plus uh, yeah, that's too much recording, too much. Recording. What, Loki's coming up. Yep. We got Loki. We're dropping these like what? Once a month for the MCU once we're potentially twice a month, depending on, you know, when we can get recorded, because we are entering into about the period of when we normally take a little bit of a hiatus. Oh, yes. 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 Our our job is going to be a little demanding. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how we let that impact Loki, if we're going to do kind of the Falcon and Winter Soldier approach or if we'll do the WandaVision approach. Um, We'll just have to see how that fits into our. Yeah. Lovely, uh, crazy schedules. Yeah, because I... yeah, because I was gonna say he's he's telling you it's gonna be a little busy. It's gonna be insane. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know I worked like 120 hours in one pay period. Uh, yeah. In July last year, so it was it was very intense and very draining. Um, so at least you will be getting these episodes because <laughs> we might record, uh, in advance on them and, uh, have them scheduled out so that there's content going out there, but don't be surprised if Loki waits till the end of its run. And in August, uh, at some point we'll, we'll get a full season review of that drop or something like that. But yeah, if we, if we disappear for a little bit there, it's normal. You know, we, we, yeah, we did it last year and we did it my first year when I was doing this all on my own. So yep, uh, our day job is demanding and it allows us to do this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Work life balance, uh, y'all, which which, yeah, I, I, I need to look. Um, not that you guys care about listening to us talk about this, but we might launch a Patreon, uh, you know, get some stuff. If you guys we probably wouldn't have anything necessarily locked behind any any paywalls, at least not until we get the the video stuff up and running. But, uh, you know, maybe a tip jar type thing where if you want to throw us a couple bucks, you're more than welcome to. But we won't expect anything. Um, but yeah, you know, our our jobs will give us the money to improve on our equipment, get better <laughs> setups and some point we'll have our own studio stuff for you know my end because as you've heard during our recording we've had the dog shake her head we've had the cat <laughs> meow, got, got a guy out mowing right now uh so that's all stuff that's that's to come but yes uh stay tuned and uh we look forward to um hearing what you guys think about our reviews and what you think about this series we've tried to do a few franchise reviews before but pat and i usually end up petering out our most famous one is Terminator, which we stopped after Terminator two, <laughs> which is actually probably a good way to stop because the rest of them afterwards are not great. Um, but yes, if you, uh, like the podcast, uh, try sharing it out with your friends and family. Uh, if you like kind of the way we approach our, our reviews and our, our criticizing of films or maybe lack of criticizing films, depending on how you look at, at how we do this, uh, but think other people might share it out. That helps us get out there and make make us known. Um, leave us a rate and review on whatever service that you're listening to us on. And you can get this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Google Play, Audible, Amazon Music, just about anywhere you can get your podcasts. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics and follow us on Facebook at the Critics Not Cynics Podcast. And we will talk to you guys next time.